You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to take you around the league with Peter King from the MMQB and Dan Graziano from ESPN. And Brian, let's kick off the podcast today with former Patriots linebacker Chad Brown. Chad, thanks for taking the time to come back on the show. How are you? I am fantastic, fellas. How are you guys doing? Chad, we are doing well. Glad to have you on. I've listened to you a few times on the radio covering some of the games, and I just want to tell you, you do a phenomenal job, and I want you to do that now on our show. Um, <laughs> give me your take on that Minnesota Vikings game against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, to see it be one where Minnesota gets out front 17-0, obviously we see Case Keenum playing some football, the type of football that you wish your quarterbacks can play in that first half. But the Saints came back strong, and it came down to the very last play of the game, and it's something that we we was a, a stickler of in Pittsburgh when we were together is playing for 60 minutes. Did they not play for 60 minutes? I think it was a fantastic 60-minute game, and I think maybe the, the under-told story of that game is the adjustments. Obviously, coming out of half, the New Orleans Saints made some tremendous adjustments, both offensively and defensively. Minnesota didn't adapt to those adjustments and needed a fluky play in the end to win the game. So I wouldn't say that the Saints turned it down and didn't play for 60 minutes. A young safety who made a tremendous play earlier in the game, got an interception in the most critical moment of the game, misplays the ball, misplays the tackle. Uh, I think an artifact of the difficulty of playing safety in today's NFL, not sure how can I hit this guy, I don't want to get a personal foul, I don't want to get past interference, that uncertainty created doubt that doubt led to lack of confidence he kind of whiffed the tackle and the rest is history but um, from a football perspective, from a coaching perspective, I walk away from that game thinking about the lack of adjustments and then the adjustments done by New Orleans to get themselves back into the ball game Chad, let's move over to the AFC Championship game. We know that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, but do you have any doubts that the Patriots are going to move the football that effectively against this very tough Jaguar defense on Sunday? You know, Jacksonville is in such a great position because, for the most part, everyone's counting them out, and they have been counted out for a couple of weeks now. But when you're in that locker room of a team that's been counted out, there's an incredible looseness that comes from that. Uh, there's an incredible – it's weird that there's almost a confidence that comes from that, that no matter what, we can't do wrong. Let's just go out there and let it fly. So after being one of those people who counted the Jacksonville Jaguars out, uh, as much respect as I have for the Patriots, been a part of that organization, played for Bill Belichick, was a teammate of Tom Brady's, Obviously, the track record of what those guys have accomplished is long and extensive. Even knowing all of that, I'm in a position saying, you know what, this Jacksonville thing I think is a little bit more complicated than folks want to admit, and they have a better chance than most folks want to admit as well. Being in Pittsburgh, Shag, you kind of was a, a part of that style of play. Uh, great defense. Uh, have a knack for getting a football, scoop and score kind of deal, which we've seen this team do a lot of times on defense. And offensively, we have Bam Morris and a little bit of Jerome Bettis, and those guys kind of led the charge on the offensive side of the football. Do you see this recipe in Jacksonville being the most intimidating recipe throughout this uh, rest of this playoffs? 
I, I, I think so. You know, the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles certainly play a fantastic brand uh, of defense, but the the overall the overall formula of what Jacksonville wants to do, they want to play great defense. They want to run the ball at you with Fournette. They want to ask uh, of Blake Bortles. Not too much. Be clean with the football. Just be smart with the football. Don't make any mistakes that kill us. Um, that's a tested playoff formula. If you're asking a quarterback to go out there and, and light it up and be in a shootout, you know, that's, that's not tested. The, 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 the history of football lends itself to teams playing great defense, controlling the ball, controlling the, the time of possession, controlling the tempo of the game through the running game, and Jacksonville can do that. And because they're a more ground-based team, then that begins to eliminate some of the variables of, of weather. You know, we often see weather affect playoff games. The more ground-oriented you are, the less of an effect that has on you. So this Jacksonville formula is a traditional football formula which has proven to be successful. Scott Brown is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's go back to Sunday's game in Pittsburgh. Do you think some Steeler players might have been guilty of looking past Jacksonville? Because there was a lot of conversation about a rematch with New England in the AFC Championship game. Well, looking looking past your next week opponent is, is just it, – it, it blows my mind that, that Mike Tomlin could have allowed that conversation to happen in the locker room and that there was not a team leader in that locker room who didn't step up and squash that conversation before it got to the point where it did, where guys were publicly admitting to be looking forward to playing New England. You, The NFL is such a close league as far as talent and coaching Obviously, particularly in the playoffs, you have to give every opponent their full respect and your full attention. When I was a Pittsburgh Steeler and we were seemingly headed into the Super Bowl, we played the San Diego Chargers in the championship game. That Wednesday before the championship game against San Diego Chargers, Eric Green, our tight end, called a team meeting. And he brought guys in, and he had plans for our Super Bowl video that we were going to do. It was going to be some kind of music video we were going to do. And I was pretty young in my career, and I thought, this is wrong. We should not be doing this. None of this feels right to me. We got a game against the Chargers, and we're playing our Super Bowl video. This is just not good football karma. And guess what happens? We lose. To those San Diego Chargers, they go in the Super Bowl, play the San Francisco 49ers, get the break speed off of them. I think we would have gave the 49ers a far better game than the San Diego Chargers did. But my point is we didn't give the Chargers our full attention. And for that Pittsburgh Steelers team, which is, you know, there's a lot of bravado and confidence and cockiness in that locker room, I think it went a step too far when they began pointing to the Patriots and not to Jacksonville. Chad, when you look at the quarterbacks we have left playing uh, in this championship game, you have one superstar, arguably the best quarterback to ever play the game, and you have three newcomers, uh, guys that I think most may have had doubts about, especially Blake Bortles, especially Case Keenum, and, and, and Nick Foles, the way he played in the last few games. Um, you know, people pretty much wrote this team off. But give me your take on the direction of the National Football League. It's not about just the elite quarterbacks anymore. It's now more about maybe having better teams and just have a guy that can be serviceable and just be a game manager. Well, I think you have to deal with what you have. There's a, I won't call it a crisis, but there's a, a difficulty in projecting these college quarterbacks into the NFL. And while a guy like Deshaun Watson can come in and, you know, do seemingly well as a young guy, he also won a couple of games where he had like less than 50 yards passing, over 100 yards rushing, because 
it's a tough transition. So as front offices and head coaches begin to recognize that the chances of Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees walking through that door is almost slim to none, and those teams who get those guys always hold on to them, I've got to find a way to build a team and not just build a team around my quarterback, build an entire team, a defense that can shut people down, a running game that can take care of my quarterback because he's young when he, when he has off days, that can maintain the and dictate the tempo of the ball game. You need more of that. Now, of course, I think every coach, if you pulled every coach, would love to have a franchise guy, but there's only a couple of those guys. So you've got to be creative now in today's NFL, particularly with the very different style of college quarterback and trying to translate those guys to the NFL. It's a very inexact science. You don't know what you're going to get. Therefore, you have to bolster up the rest of the roster to be able to deal with that uncertainty at that position. And I think these teams and what the job the head coaches have done, Zimmer and and, and, and Minnesota uh, and, and Jacksonville and Philadelphia, they also did a great job of managing those quarterbacks and not putting them in positions to blow the game for them, just putting those guys in continued situations where they can be successful, run the ball well on first and second down, keep it easy and manageable on third down. When third down comes, don't ask them to go out there and read across the whole field, read one side of the field. They really make it easier for those quarterbacks to be successful. Taking you across the league with Chad Brown, the former NFL linebacker. Chad, you played in Seattle. We've seen a lot of changes on the coaching staff. Do you think we've also seen a shift in the identity of this team for years? It was all about the defense, and now Russell Wilson is the focal point. Well, I think just from a management perspective, from a front office perspective, when you had Russell Wilson and he was still under his rookie contract, you had all this money to spend, and you should go out and get guys and bolster your defense. You can get Cliff Averill from Detroit. You can bring in Michael Bennett from Tampa Bay. You can do those kinds of things. You can reward those homegrown guys, guys like Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas, with big money deals. But now that you've got a quarterback who's near the top in the leagues in salary, you've got to find a way to shift your roster and shift the way you build games since you're already invested in that quarterback. Maybe it's finally time to improve that offensive line there in Seattle and focus a little bit more on that offense and try to win the game, not with shutout defense, but with good defense, but, a, but an offense that can actually go out there and outscore people as opposed to just kind of outlast them as they've done over the last couple of years. Alex Smith. I think the narrative has been he can't finish football games or he can't win you football games, but his numbers were arguably better than any other time he's played uh, this season. Give me your take on what do you think he ends up because Patrick Mahomes is the next man up. You know, I think there's a lot to like about Alex Smith, certainly uh, as an older veteran quarterback still. He may be the most mobile and the most athletic of all the veteran quarterbacks, he and Aaron Rodgers, they operate a little bit differently in the pocket. But guys who can buy time with their feet, guys who can pick up first downs with their feet, who as a defensive-minded guy like myself, you always have to worry about as a pass rusher, you know, don't get too, too far upfield, don't get too far out of my pass rush lane because this guy can hurt me with his feet. So that, coupled with the veteran experience, coupled with this year where he finally started to throw the ball down the field, uh, I think he can be an attractive place for an uh, attractive quarterback for a, a number of different teams who are looking. But I don't think he would be willing to sign up for what he signed up for this year with you know being the quarterback kind of holding the position until this young guy is ready to play. There's been talk here in Denver about maybe trying to bring Alex Smith in. I can't imagine the Chiefs would allow him to go to a division opponent. But the quarterback, the quarterback situation here in Denver is obviously in flux. And the thought is you bring in a 
draft pick with that fifth pick in the draft that they have, and then maybe a guy like Alex Smith. Well, I, think, I don't think Alex Smith is going to be willing to sign up for that situation again. So it's going to be, have to be someplace most likely where he can be the man and not just kind of holding that spot until the draft pick is ready to play. Cordell, since we're talking about quarterbacks in Denver, why don't you tell Chad how big of a Baker Mayfield fan you've become? I'm huge. I love Baker Mayfield. I mean, I think he's one of the most accurate of the few quarterbacks that's coming out. That's Josh Allen and that's Josh Rosen as well as Sam Darnold. Uh, my, my thing was when you look at teams where you feel like you may need a quarterback for the future. And for example, Jacksonville, some was basically saying run Jackson, run Blake Bortles out of there. I say, why? You have one of the best defense in the National Football League. You have a phenomenal running game. You're not vested too much in that position. Why don't you op, you know, exercise the option year and bring someone in? Of course, the other quarterbacks will probably already be gone in the first round. I might give Baker Mayfield an opportunity to go down to Jacksonville. He's sitting at 6-1. You see the kid out in, in Case Keenum in Minnesota and how he's playing. Size truly doesn't matter. Drew Brees, size doesn't tr- truly doesn't matter. You give an accurate player an opportunity. He has the footwork. He has the arm. He has the swag. Send him down there to Jacksonville. Sit behind Blake Bortles and see what happens as opposed to bringing in an Alex Smith that's going to probably cost you guaranteed monies of anywhere from 30 to 50 million bucks. And you don't need to spend that much money on a quarterback, Chad. You know, I, there's a lot to like about Baker Mayfield. I had the opportunity to call uh, Bedlam this year, so I saw Baker Mayfield and Mason Rudolph in person calling that game. An amazing game, 62-52, to 52, over 1,300 yards of offense. And, yeah, I love the confidence and swag of Baker Mayfield. Um, there's, there's a lot to be said for his skill set as a quarterback. Just the, as I just talked about earlier, that, that tricky trans, uh, translation from the air raid style that they played in the Big 12, light him up, score, outscore people, get into a shootout versus what they're going to be asked to do as NFL quarterbacks. Um, so that's the difficult part for me, you know, looking at Baker Mayfield and even the kid from Oklahoma State, Mason Rudolph, they seem to have all the skill sets and, and everything else, but we don't really know because they haven't done it in a system that directly translates to the NFL. But to your point uh, uh, about Baker Mayfield as, as a pro and, and bringing him in perhaps to Jacksonville, if he's available later in the draft, I, I could see that possibly. Cause if I'm Tom Coughlin, I have to – give credit to Blake Bortles for what he's accomplished this season, but I can't help but look back over the length of his career and think, is this a one-year aberration, or is this guy finally going in the right direction? And if I could hedge my bets with a guy like Baker Mayfield that maybe if Blake Bortles becomes the man that we could you know, send off or trade off for some future draft picks while we develop him here for a couple of years, then that's a possibility for me because I can't go into next season just thinking that Blake Bortles can absolutely 100% repeat what he did this year. And even this year, there were a number of games where his arm was scattershot. The first half of the uh, wild card weekend, you're like, wow, this guy can't hit the broad side of a barn. He finally got things <laughs> together as the game went along. But if I'm Tom Coughlin, I'm carrying those worries with me into the draft and looking to pick up somebody else. Chad, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Since you mentioned your TV work and you and I have both done some work for Pac-12 Networks, I just want you to know that Cordell's on the record on this show not connecting himself with our Conference of Champions. Cordell insists he's still a Big 8 guy, even though your former conference does not exist anymore. 
Come on, Case, dude. Get with 2018. Colorado's oh. in the, the Pac-12. It is what it is. It's a, it's a great fit. It's a fantastic conference, particularly for quarterback play. You would oh. think as a full, former quarterback, you would dive right in, man. Well, Chad, I would, but the, the, the caveat is, and the sneaky thing behind the scenes is, he's a Stanford and a USC guy. He's, he's feeling as if the, Pac, the Pac-12 is the, the creme de la creme conference. And he didn't watch the national championship game this year. So I just basically try to tell him that my alliance is with the Big 8, even even though it doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) But I follow my football team. Okay? That's what I said. All right. Got it. Got it, big man. Well, Chad, I couldn't watch an all-SEC national championship game. Come on. I have taste. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hope to chat with you down the road again on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, previewing the NFC Championship game with Brian Westbrook, the former Eagles Pro Bowl running back. Brian, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We are doing well, and let's start with what you saw offensively in the win over Atlanta. Did Nick Foles show you enough in that victory to have confidence in the quarterback heading into the NFC Championship game? You know what, based on uh, the last two games of the season, uh, you had Oakland on Christmas Day, then you had uh, the the, the Dallas Cowboys after that, and Nick Foles in both of those uh, games just didn't look very good. He didn't play an awful lot in the last game of the year, but he did not look very good. And both of those games were coming off of a four-touchdown game versus Dallas versus the, the New York Giants. And so um, the, the expectations for Nick going into the game this past Saturday just weren't very high. And I think for him, they, in order to come out and, and for this team to win, he had to come out and play great football. And I, I think he did. He played an efficient game. Uh, he was over 70% passing for as far as completions. And when you look at it, and the most important stat that he had on Saturday was that he did not throw any interceptions. I mean, if you don't turn the ball over in the playoffs offensively and you play pretty decent defense, you have a chance to win. And fortunately enough for the Eagles, Nick Foles did not turn the ball over as far as the interception, and um, they were able to find a way to win. It's okay to say that this team for sure, uh, Brian, is is – one of the better defenses in the National Football League, leading with Fletcher Cox and Chris Long and all the other guys that's on this defense. But one thing I think that's comparable to a great defense is a quality running game. You've been a part of one uh, with your style of play, but they have LeGarrette Blunt, they have Jay Ajayi, they have Clements as well as Smallwood. How big of a deal is it to have a, a running game that can actually slow the game down to allow your quarterback to get his feet up under him, knowing that if you win this football game, you're in the Super Bowl? Well, I think it's really important, and Cordell, you you know how important it is to have a running game to support uh, you as a quarterback. I, I just think that when you have that running game, it, it works in a couple different ways. Offensively, it hopefully allows you to stay on schedule first and second down, getting positive yards so that on third down, you're not in third and long situations. 
that's going to help your quarterback. That's really going to help your offense stay on the field with those short, shorter third-down situations. Defensively, how it helps you is the run game just adds and takes time off the clock, more and more time off the clock. Your defense gets to sit on the other sideline, you sit on your sideline and rest, while the other opposing offense is sitting on the sideline, and hopefully you find a way to put uh, a touchdown in that end zone. And so you accomplish so many things. They have to watch you. You're sitting on the sideline. Your defense is resting, and you're pushing, putting points on the board, and that's very, very important. The Eagles have three running backs that can get it done. Jay Ajayi has carried the load for the most part, but when you add in LeGarrette Blunt as well as Corey Clement, they have three guys that you can hand the ball off to or throw the ball to out of the backfield that can get you positive yards and certainly have explosiveness in this offense. Brian Westbrook is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Brian, Stephon Diggs making history with that incredible play on Sunday. But when we're looking at the overall skill set of Minnesota's receiving core, including their tight end, Kyle Rudolph, and what Philadelphia has to offer, how would you compare those two units? Well, when I look at Minnesota, you know, they, they, they don't have a problem running the ball. I mean, they, they commit to running the ball. Pat Shermer, a guy that a lot of people here in Philadelphia know and understand because he has been here for a while, um, is, there all, is Minnesota's offensive coordinator. He, he's willing to commit to the running, so they do do that. But then when you look at Thielen as well as Diggs, you have two receivers that can catch the ball and get yards after the catch. They've been doing it all season long. Thielen certainly has the speed. Diggs has the speed. And you combine that with Rudolph. Now the secondary uh, for the Eagles has to you know really play – play this thing close to the cup. They can't allow themselves to be undisciplined. They can't allow themselves to be in the wrong place. The good thing for for the Philadelphia Eagles defense is that their front four has done a great job of getting after quarterbacks. And if they want to win, the Eagles want to win, they have to find a way to make life very, very hard for Case Keenum and to not allow him to be comfortable inside of the pocket. Speaking of making life hard, I think at the beginning of the year this year, uh, when Doug Peter, Peterson came in, the head coach, there were some c- conversations that Coach Schwartz and and maybe some people were kind of saying he was undermining Doug Peterson or some people thought that Doug Peterson was in above his head and Coach Schwartz should have the head coaching do- job there in Philadelphia. Give me your take on what's being said now because one of the most efficient offenses in the National Football League, if not one of the best, the best third down converting conversion uh, ratio when it comes down to Carson Wentz being the starting quarterback on the football team. Give me your take on what they're saying now about Doug Peterson. Well, you're right. A lot of people doubted Doug. You know, some people that were uh, inside of the building supposedly were doubting Doug. But the truth is, when you coach your team to a 13-3 record, when you play with some of the injuries that they've had, Jason Peters, a Hall of Famer, Darren Sproul, certainly a guy that should be considered for the Hall of Fame. Jordan Hicks, the middle linebacker, uh, has missed most of the season. Ronald Darby missed eight games. And Doug Peterson, throughout all of that and losing Carson Wentz, MVP candidate, uh, has allowed his team to be in a situation where they're playing for the NFC Championship. And to me, that means an awful lot. That means the guys bought into what he was what he was telling them. They bought into this the next guy up philosophy, and they every single week they come and answer the bell. And that comes from the top. That comes from the head coach. And so a lot of people have been eating their words because. Uh, Doug Peterson has had success this year, and this team is 13-3. And at the end of the day, uh, this NFL that we play that's going on at this point, 
It's all about wins and losses. Doug Peterson won 13 games this year, and that's an important stat for, for a coach that was doubted across the board. And you're ready for Sunday's NFC Championship game, chatting with Brian Westbrook. Brian, you know the city of Philadelphia well. Before you play for the Eagles, you shined at Villanova. When we think about how things could play out on Sunday, obviously Eagle fans are invested. They're trying to move on to the Super Bowl. But let's say Minnesota wins the game. Do you think a portion of the fan base will at least be philosophical about the loss because Carson Wentz got hurt in December? Monumental achievement even to make it this far. Well, I, I think I think if they said that, uh, they would be right. It's certainly impressive that they're able to make it this far without their MVP candidate, uh, Carson Wentz, a guy that's really carried them throughout the season. But, you know, it's just hard to be this close. I mean, you're, you're four quarters away from being able to play in the Super Bowl. You have a good defense. You're going to be facing a team with a good defense. You're at home. And, you know, if, I don't know that the people in Philadelphia would say, you know, we're okay and kind of write it off. I certainly know that they will be upset and disappointed. But at this point, they believe in this team. They believe in Doug Peterson and the leadership on this football team. And uh, nothing less than playing in the Super Bowl is going to make these guys happy. Believe me in that. Brian, to see what they did last weekend against this Atlanta Falcons team and have some of the most explosive receivers maybe you know maybe the top let's just say eight to ten receivers in the game when it comes to Sanu as well as Julio Jones um to see that defense hold them the way they did because they were driving up and down the field all day whether it was running the football uh, creating the, the down and distance situations of play in favor to the play call to getting the ball to Sanu getting the ball to Julio Jones but they they steadfast and stayed strong and and stayed sturdy Give me your take on people basically somewhat feeling as if Philadelphia, because of all the bad luck they've had over the years and things haven't really trans, you know, transpired to be something special as many times as they've gone to the NFC Championship game. What do you say to those people right now that say, you know what, we're doing it without our best quarterback. We're doing it with the backup. And this team is as good as everyone says they're supposed to be because of the talent we have. Well, I think a lot of people believe that the quarterbacks, they run this league. And I, I think for, for certainly for most teams, that's the truth. And when you lose Carson Wentz, that, that was trouble for this team. But Doug Peterson has employed this the next man up. Uh, we expect you to play better than the guy that was in there. And he never really hasn't held the course for all positions. But for some of them, uh, the, next, the next guy up has done a great job and, and allowed this team to continue to be successful. And I, I think the one attitude, and I think you saw Lane Johnson after the game, he wore a dog mask because everyone had doubted them. Everyone had doubted this team, thought they were underdogs. You're talking about a number one seed that was an underdog at home to the number six seed, Atlanta Falcons. And I think they've adopted this attitude. It's us versus the world. And that attitude is up to a place where now they're playing for the NFC Championship. And if they got their, you know, they're lucky enough to, to win that, they have an opportunity uh, to play in the Super Bowl. And so that attitude has traveled across from the head coach all the way down to the players. And then with that attitude, they've been very successful. And I think they'll use that again this week. Uh, no one respects us. No one likes us. No one will pick us. And that will certainly provide them some momentum leading into the game. Brian, we really appreciate the time and the information. Thanks so much for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. 
Thank you, guys. Take care. Have a good night. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past. And Discovered that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we welcome in Peter King from the MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King, from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, always a pleasure. You wrote about being in Minnesota in your Sunday night column. You have witnessed some incredible moments throughout your outstanding career. Where would you rank the miracle in Minnesota? I never saw a game, you know, with so much on the line that ended so dramatically. Um, That was what was so impressive about that. The fact that, you know, New Orleans didn't cover the play well, and uh, Minnesota had the right passer called downfield. You know, what was very interesting now in retrospect for a couple of days after, you wonder – on that side of the field, in that coverage against, uh, you know, uh, against two very good receivers, they didn't have a safety, you know, back there to protect them. Now they had Marcus Williams, who's a safety, but I'm talking about a deep safety to provide the insurance that they needed. They had two cover guys on that side of the field to cover two wide receivers. You know, if I were Dennis Allen, uh, now looking at it in retrospect, I I believe that they should have rushed three instead of four and uh, had an extra safety to uh, to provide the kind of insurance that ultimately they really needed to have. I mean, Peter, this may be uh, the most different, lack of better terms, uh, matchups we've seen in a very long time. And I'm talking about more the quarterbacks. Uh, you have Tom Brady, arguably the best ever, and then three other unnamed, unknown guys. I mean, how do you gauge – moving forward throughout the National Football League, on how do you gauge these teams as you move forward with these quarterbacks that are on household names? Well, first of all, Cordell, I think it's this year is an outlier. You know, I've heard people, some people say, see, more important to have defense in a running game than to have a great quarterback. Well, I'll just tell you this. Uh, I didn't hear the Green Bay Packers all the years they had Brett Favre saying, boy, we'd trade Brett Favre for a defense in a running game. I mean, you've got to have a great quarterback to have a chance to be consistently good in the NFL. But I think just as far as these matchups go, I think that all three offensive coordinators in Jacksonville, Minnesota, and Philadelphia, a little bit less in Minnesota because Keenum has made plays all year. And I think, I think if, you, if, you, if you're lining up these quarterbacks, it goes Brady, obviously, far and away number one and then Keenum, and then you drop down to uh, Foles and, and, and Bortles uh, as, as quarterbacks who I think their offensive coordinators, they won't say it, they won't hint at it, and they'll never say it, but they're going to try to hide in this game, and they're going to try to minimize their impact on the game and basically you know, throw horizontally instead of throwing vertically much downfield. 
Taking you around the league with Peter King of the MMQB. Peter, were you surprised at all to see Mike Malorkey lose the job in Tennessee, even though the Titans made it all the way to the divisional round of the playoffs? Surprised only because Amy Adams Strunk had said uh, six or seven days previously that this is our coach going forward. Well, I guess he was their coach going forward for six days. Um, but this was all about the fact that, you know, uh, I think the Titans were very, very skeptical that Mike Malarkey and his offensive staff were going to be able to long-term, uh, you know, put together an offense and put together an offensive plan to make Marcus Mariota successful. I mean, you know, this season he regressed, whether he was 10, 15, 20% worse than he had been, uh, especially his second year in the NFL. But he was definitely worse. And, you know, so you ask yourself, what should we do? And I think that that the, the Titans are so, so view Marcus Mariota as their long-term future and want to make sure that they get everything out of him that they just didn't want to take a chance. In, uh, in, in, in leaving the current coaching staff intact. If Malarkey was going to stay, I believe he was going to have to accept some changes to his coaching staff. And I think he probably also thought that the offer of a contract extension wasn't really uh, commensurate with uh, what is given as an extension to a guy who just led your team to the playoffs. Peter, you think the Minnesota Vikings offer Case Keenum a, a long-term deal? Yes. But, I, you know, I was there, Cordell, and I get this sense that absolutely they'd like to keep him. But I think if they don't get a deal done before – look, let's say, that, let's say that, that, uh, that, that Pat Shermer takes the Giants' job, you know, whatever, two days after the season ends, whenever that is. Well, then if you're Case Keenum, you say, all right, should I stay in Minnesota – a place that is going to have a new offensive coordinator and might make material changes to the offense and also, uh, you know, and not, not really know what the future is going to be. Or should I put myself out on the open market where at least his agent should know this, where, you know, it's, it's not well known, but it's known in all that John Elway really likes Case Keenum. Uh, and if John Elway offered uh, Brock Osweiler, after seven NFL starts, four years, $60 million, uh, I mean, I would think that would be his absolute baseline of an offer to Case Keenum. And so somebody's going to pay Case Keenum, I'd say, $15 million or more per year. Uh, I just don't know who it's going to be. I think it might be Denver, it might be Minnesota, it might be Cleveland. Peter, last one for me. The Rooney Rule has been a significant advance, and other leagues have not been that progressive with that kind of specific directive. But as these coaching positions start to fill up, should the league be concerned that no minority candidates have been hired so far? Great question, Brian. I think that the league is concerned about that, especially because when you look at you know the progress that the league uh, had made in this regard. Um, I think that, for instance, the league is going to have to come down hard on the Oakland Raiders. Um, And I've got this idea that I think rather than just say to the Raiders, hey, we're fining you, you know, $300,000 and we're going to dock you a fifth-round draft pick. I don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to do something about this. Uh, instead Instead of coming down hard on the Raiders, 
I would say make Mark Davis pay for 10 coaching fellowships so that for one year in college and pro football uh, that the Oakland Raiders pay for 10 of these fellowships to advance the causes of some of these minority coaches who need a chance. But you're right. I think the NFL is concerned, uh, and I think the NFL deep down really hopes that Steve Wilkes, the Carolina Panthers GM, uh, uh, defensive coordinator, does get one of these jobs. Peter, as always, we appreciate the insights. Look forward to chatting with you again on Thursday on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks so much, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites, we've rounded up our favorites and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John, S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's take you across the league with Dan Graziano from ESPN. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time. Let's start in Indy. Does the fact that, according to reports, Josh McDaniels may be willing to leave the Patriots to become the new head coach of the Colts suggest he has confidence Andrew Luck's going to be fully healthy next season? Yeah, it does to me. I certainly wouldn't take that job if I weren't certain of that. But, but, I mean, I guess I just wonder how certain you could be. Like, even if you get all the reassurances from the doctors and the team, you know, the, the team, as recently as August, was expecting him to play at some point this season, and he didn't. So... Uh, it seems risky to me, or else maybe he just really likes Jacoby Brissett, who he knows from New England. But, uh, yeah, I would think that if, if McDaniels is going there and the indications are that he will, uh, that he has received sufficient, confident answers about uh, Andrew Luck's prognosis. Dan, when you look at Pittsburgh and you see how this offense was so explosive, all the talent was arguably one of the most explosive offenses in the game. They've underachieved this year. You see the bickering back and forth of what you hear from the outside in between Ben and Todd. Uh, Todd Haley, do you see Todd coming back as the offensive coordinator next year? I, that's a good question. I, I think, you know, with the contract up and all this noise about it, I, I guess if I had to bet one way, I would say probably not. But – you know, the two questions there are who is Pittsburgh have in mind to replace him if they're making a move, and where is he going if it's him that wants to make the move, right? Now, you know, is he going to go to Arizona and be an offensive coordinator if Mike Munchak gets that job? You know, so there may be some things in the works there, but it sounds like that could be, they could be headed for a parting there, and if that's the case, um, you know, it's fascinating to see. I'm sure people will climb all over each other to get a chance to be an offensive coordinator for a team that has Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. I mean, right? Like that, wouldn't you? That, that offensive line, I think that would be a pretty desirable job. So um, we'll see. I, I also wonder what it means in terms of what they'll want to do going forward because you wouldn't think they'd want to change what they're running on offense um, considering how successful it's been. But, uh, but it does seem like that could be headed for a split there in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah, and we're in the storytelling business. It's all about content. So it's good for us that Ben Roethlisberger is so candid. But when he goes on the radio and says effectively he didn't have the freedom to audibleize at the line of scrimmage and check into a quarterback sneak, 
Just the latest example that it feels like we're always talking about something in Pittsburgh. Why do you think yeah. we have drama to dissect all the time when it comes to the Steelers? First of all, I'm a little skeptical about that uh, about that claim by Ben on the radio. I, I, I find it difficult to believe that a quarterback with his level of experience and success doesn't have the freedom to audible. But uh, that aside, in answer to your question, you know, you have big personalities. You have you have people who uh, are, are confident in what they do and confident in, in, you know, expressing what they think about what they do. You have a Pittsburgh locker room. I spent a week there last, last week. It's a remarkable locker room from the standpoint of a reporter because, you know, there's so many guys in there that, that, aren't, that don't seem afraid to talk to you, right? That, that, that they're confident. They're self-assured. They are, to a certain extent, grown-ups. And I think that that's unusual, and then we're not used to hearing come out of an NFL locker room what comes out of Pittsburgh. Now, why is it Pittsburgh? Well, I think there's an atmosphere there um, that, that encourages these guys to be themselves, to express themselves, to not worry about and hide behind you know, whatever rules of decorum may govern uh, a locker room like, say, the one in New England where it's buttoned up. Um, and I also think, you know, you have a you have a, a, a feeling at the organization that the coach, Mike Tomlin, can can handle it. Like if a distraction does pop up because of something somebody says uh, or something somebody does, uh, that, that Tomlin can get a lid on it and, and communicate effectively. Hey, guys, it's all well and good. Say what you want to say. Be you. But, you know, come Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, especially Sunday, Let's make sure our focus is where it needs to be. Now, all the issues that came up this year were what they are. They still got to 13-3, and three, and, um, and obviously they lost in the playoffs sooner than they expected to, but they lost to a team that obviously, based on two games' worth of evidence, was a pretty bad matchup for them. And when you look at the Steelers and, and, and how they actually ended that last game, let's just say if they pooch punt it or, or let's say kick it or yeah. squib kick it, excuse me, with two minutes and 18 seconds left, we wouldn't probably even be having this conversation. But what does that say to Mike Tomlin? I mean, you hear, you hear, you hear the loose lips being, being run just a little bit and then you make these types of mistakes in games. Is this indicative to, to how he coaches a football team and maybe a little too loosey-goosey? Uh, I guess, you know, the, losing lends itself to that kind of analysis, right? I mean, like, that opens you up to it. If you're going to mess up strategy at the end of a playoff game and you're going to lose it and it's going to be on a week where your star running back was talking about his contract and one of your safeties was talking about the Patriots and not the Jaguars, you, you, that, that all, it's all there. It's all fair game. And I'm sure if Mike Tomlin were listening, he'd say, look, I, you know, I deserve it all. We lost. Um, big picture, though, yeah, the record of success is too good. I, I just I, I have a hard time buying into the notion of judging a head coach on his most recent loss. And no matter how significant it is, no matter how directly responsible for it he may have been. Yeah, onside kick strategy at the end of that game played a role, but you know, so did being down twenty one nothing. You know, so so did uh, not being able to convert two fourth and ones. Uh, because of, of weird calls where they ran sideways instead of forward. Uh, you know, so did not having Ryan Shazier. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much that goes into it, um, and, and it's it's the business he's chosen, and he knows he's going to take it. But uh, I, I have a hard time getting to the point of, oh, Mike Tomlin is a bad coach or he doesn't have control over his team. I, I just think the record has been too good, uh, and I give him the benefit of the doubt. 
Taking you around the league with Dan Graziano of ESPN. Dan, I guess we should wait until we get the outcome of the Super Bowl, but you know how it works in our business. We've got to spin it forward. No, no. It's, yeah, yeah. We, 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 Baseless speculation and up. just wild prognostication. Yeah. How do you think the Vikings are going to handle Case Keenum's contract situation? That's a good question. I think the Vikings probably bring Keenum back, and I think they probably bring Teddy Bridgewater back. Uh, and, and I think that becomes a situation going forward where maybe Keenum starts camp as the starter based on his success this year. Maybe if he doesn't sustain that success, the contract is structured in a way that, that, uh, that enables the Vikings to get some relief, and maybe Bridgewater is there as a guy that they, they still think highly of. Uh, a lot of it depends on what Keenum wants. You know, is he going to want to – let's say he goes and wins the Super Bowl – uh, is he going to want to max out his next contract because this is peak value for him? Um, and if that's something Minnesota is going to want to commit commit to, so I, I think just reading the tea leaves and, and and talking to people around the situation, my guess, vaguely educated guess, uh, is that they bring back Keenum on some kind of really nice contract. But if he decides he wants to get as much as possible, he might be able to go out on the market and do that. I mean, think about like. You know, guys who have gotten signed in recent years, you know, who have done nothing like what uh, what Keenum has already done, regardless of what happens the rest of the way. I mean, you know, the contract Brock Osweiler got, he should be able to say to teams, hey, I deserve a lot more than that. What did that guy ever accomplish compared to what I have? So um, if he decides he wants to go see how much he's worth, uh, then all bets are off, and he becomes a, a one more very fascinating part of an off-season quarterback picture that I think is kind of unprecedented. What about Blake Bortles in Jacksonville? Did, did the last yep. game pretty much solidify his opportunity to maintain being a quarterback, and not just because he played well, but just because the organization believes in him and looking at how they play the game defensively, running the football? Blake Bortles just don't screw it up? Don't screw it up. He had to make a couple of big throws for them late in that game, and he made the throws he had to make. But you saw the week before against Buffalo, they seemed like they were afraid to ask him to do anything. You go back to the beginning of December, first two or three games in December, he was one of the better quarterbacks in the whole league, and then he finished the season with like five interceptions in two games. The problem is the lack of consistency, right, and therefore a lack of trust. You can have three great games in a row, but then still sort of the the turnover bug kind of looms. So – what do you do with Bortles? They have a $19 million option on him for next year that they've picked up, but it's only guaranteed against injury until the first day of the league year. They could still cut him if he's healthy, uh, if they decide they have a better option. Or they could go to him and say, hey, Blake, you know, we're thinking about a new deal for this kind of money. It's less than what you got now, but the alternative is we cut you. Uh, and then maybe they bring him back on a more affordable deal, and then they bring in other options. right? I think Jacksonville will address the quarterback position with with options that aren't Bortles, either in addition to or instead of Bortles. And I think that, that, that that's one of their big aspects of their offseason. What do they do at quarterback long term? Because I just don't know. They like Bortles more than most people on the outside do, but I don't think they're to the point where they feel like they can fully trust him and that's so important when you get to these big-time games. He came through for them on Sunday. If he comes through them for them again this Sunday in Foxborough, then maybe the picture changes a little bit. But as of right now, I think they're thinking about multiple possible options for quarterback for next year and beyond. Dan, we enjoy your work on ESPN, so thanks so much for giving us a few minutes today here on the NFL on TuneIn. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. 
Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's spotlight more drama in Pittsburgh. Cordell, stop me if you've heard this one before. We have some drama to discuss in the city of Pittsburgh. Wow, I never heard that. Drama in Pittsburgh? When have we ever heard anything about drama happening in Pittsburgh? Well, it's every day. Let's just say that. Every week, every day, something new. What did you hear? What drama do you have for me, Brian? We have a lot to dissect. Why don't we take it step by step? Ben Roethlisberger gets paid, I'm presuming, to go on the radio every week in Pittsburgh. He's not just a generous soul. 93-7 the fan in the Steel City talking about his outlook moving forward. I'm just playing the one year at a time. You know, I take it during the season. I take it one game at a time and one season at a time. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to, to come back next year. I know Ed said that he had heard that some guys had said something about me playing for another three years. I'm not going to look past one year. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look forward to next year and give it everything I have because I'm really excited about, about what we have here. I'm excited about the players. Obviously excited about my linemen all coming back. So um, they they help keep me healthy. And so... I just um, just really excited about the, the potential that we have and how close we've been and just how I think moving forward we, we've got a good chance. So um, I'm excited for one year, and that's next year. Roethlisberger also asked about a major talking point coming off Pittsburgh's loss to Jacksonville on a couple fourth and shorts. Why did he not call an audible and change whatever the play call was into a quarterback sneak? I truly have never said I don't want to run it, and I don't have the freedom to check the quarterback sneak because we don't have that call if we're not in the huddle. Um, obviously, if we're in the huddle, we can call a quarterback sneak, and you do it. If you're at the line of scrimmage, we don't have a call to get to a quarterback sneak, so am I supposed to whisper to everybody, hey, quarterback sneak, quarterback sneak? If you don't have the call, you can't do it. I've actually asked Coach Tomlin when we get to like the two-yard line, two-point play, to spread the defense out, go empty, and run quarterback draw. I've asked for that. Yeah. He laughs at me and says, Ben, maybe in your younger days, not now. I still ask for those things. I, I would love the quarterback sneak. I, I, I hopefully will get into more of it. It's really, like I said, we don't we, we can call it in the huddle, but there's no way for me to audible to it without telling guys, hey, quarterback sneak. Like, yeah. I hope the defensive line didn't hear us. Courtesy 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh, a lot to unpack based on that conversation. Mike Tomlin had his media availability today. He was asked about the topic of quarterback sneaks. That's one of the best things about that guy. Um, his will is continually on display, particularly at those critical moments, man. He wants to be the guy. He wants to be the reason why. Um, you know, I work to not stifle that. I encourage that. I appreciate that. Um, but then we make decisions that we deem appropriate uh, in circumstances. So it may include what you talked about. It may not include what you talk about. Sometimes coming to those decisions has nothing to do with his skill set or what he's willing to do. It might just be based on what the opponent does. So those are decisions that we have to make. Um, it's really not anything extraordinary about it. It's just part of ball. So effectively, Mike Tomlin said nothing. He was also asked about the offense and reports there could be a change on his coaching staff. Will offensive coordinator Todd Haley be returning? You know, I don't know where these roads are going to lead. Um, some conversations need to be had. Some contracts are up, some contracts aren't. Um, I'm not ready to discuss that at this point. Uh, part of that 
gaining that understanding is those conversations and so forth. So um, you'll hear about them as they unfold, I'm sure, if there's anything to be heard. Um, but not there yet, no. On those lines, Mike, uh, are you content with how Ben and Todd Haley interact? And can you see that as a relationship that will be positive moving forward? You know, I'm gathering information on all relationships and things of that nature. Um, That's what this assessment is about. So I'm not ready to state opinions about the nature of any of our relationships, whether I'm assessing it in terms of what transpired or what's going to transpire moving forward. Um, You know, that's what that's the process that I'm in right now. Cordell, a lot to analyze. Where do you want to start? Well, you know, the fourth and one situation. Um, it's very rare that you have an opportunity and, and going back to when I played the game and, and things have changed tremendously since. Um, but you very rare, very rarely have an opportunity when a play is called that you automatically go under center to call a quarterback sneak. Now, if a quarterback sneak is called, it automatically stays on. That That's, you know, audible out of a quarterback sneak play. But if you're out of one, it's very rare that you come up to the line and, you know, you just run a quarterback sneak. Now, what happens is sometimes, sometimes, say you get to a point where there's a you've run a play and it may be a questionable call like a catch, uh, you know, them calling it a first down, uh, maybe a fumble, some to that extent, and they don't make the right call far as, or they're not ready on the other side of the football because they're substituting. You know, there's certain words that you can call. I know when I was there, there were certain calls that you can make to actually run another play just to get you going, just to hurry up and get it out of the way. We've seen that a couple times. It may be a handoff. And in my case, it could have been a quarterback sneak. Could have been. It could have been a part of it. Uh, You might say speed or whatever terms you chose to use to get guys alert to maybe run a play. So if they don't have it in their system, to go from a certain plate to a sneak, I get that. But if you want to hurry up and snap the football because you want to catch the defense off uh, off guard, that's a part of it. And maybe based on what was asked about the quarterback sneak, you know, on fourth and one, it didn't allow that conversation to be had. But it's a part of the game. It's just not a part of the game to go from a particular play to a quarterback sneak to try to get the first down because that's something you want to dial up on the sideline. You want to be sure that you want to call a quarterback sneak or call another play. You're not going to come up to the line of scrimmage or even draw them off sides. You're not going to come to the line of scrimmage and audible out of a quarterback sneak to something else. It just doesn't happen. Or audible from another play to a quarterback sneak play. It's just, it just doesn't happen because majority of the time, those two gaps beside the center, whether it's on the right side or the left side, those gaps are sometimes covered up, or maybe the nose guard may be sitting there. You may not want to run a quarterback sneak. So, you know, if, if that's the case, you know, with that particular play, um, I would say I, I can understand the reasoning behind how it's tough to audible to a quarterback sneak because I've never had to audible to a quarterback sneak before in my life. Todd Haley, that conversation. Um, you know, Coach Mike Tomlin, while he has his ear to every single thing, uh, that's going on with that football team, obviously, for obvious reasons. He's the head coach. I, I don't think it's the time to talk about Todd Haley, to be honest with you, because you will, you will allow the emotions to really determine what you say at this moment in time after being a prisoner of the moment of what just happened less than 48 hours ago. 
And so I, I think it's important that as they move forward, that if this is something that's going to happen, they keep their loose, their lips kind of, you know, keep everything close to the to the vest. And and, 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 and if it's something that's not going to happen or is, either or, I just think you hold on to it until it's the right time to do it. And I don't think this is truly the right time to do that uh, with Todd Haley because trust me, what about that two minutes and 18 seconds left on the clock onside kick that was made and that wasn't done by Todd Haley? I mean, so there's a lot of things we can question uh, that happened. And I know that it's about the relationship between he and um, Ben Ben uh, Ben Roethlisberger, but I think everything that Coach Tomlin mentioned and said was he was he was pretty efficient. To we be didn't honest, say I don't think he was covering anything up. He just talked but, around it, Cordell. He talked in vague generalities. Let's talk well, about Roethlisberger. And by the way, Tomlin did the right thing yeah, because he did. these yes. are the conversations you should have behind closed doors. Why did Ben talk about this at all? Why didn't he just say? Maybe I could script it for him. Would you like me to do this right now? I'm going to get a pen. Let's do it. Go ahead. I'm listening. Go ahead. Image Surprise me here. All right, Ben. If you're asked about fourth and short and audible, you say, fellas, Jacksonville played a great game, and we're going to get better in the offseason. Say nothing. Why is he talking about all of this stuff all the time on the radio? The dude can't help himself, man. He figured he's in control. Let me tell you something about Pittsburgh, okay? It's, it's, it's a small, big city. And there, there's so many big fish in that small, big pond. You know, it's, it seemed like it's big where you go up and down 79, 279 and go out to Monroeville, you know, all the different places that you can actually go to. Uh, um, and all I can say is, is that everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants to say the hot thing. Now, what I do like is that he corrected uh, the notion that he mentioned he wanted to be there for three more years based on what was said by Ed Bouchette, uh, the writer for the Post-Gazette, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, uh, and saying that he just want to have an opportunity to have one year. I don't mind that. That That is about him. When you start getting to the point where you start answering questions for coaches and you know scenarios, number one, my responsibility is, is to run the play that's called. And if if, if it's not a, quarter, a quarterback sneak that's called, it's not a play that's called. That's kind of what was Mike Tomlin alluded to in his conversation about how do they go about play calling? What makes sense and what doesn't? And, and, and sometimes guys try to say some things sometimes to try to sound like they're smart and they're basically telling everything. Like less is more. And I don't think no one's there to help those guys understand that. That less is more in cases, especially when things are extremely sensitive and it's been hyper, it's been extremely sensitive over the last few weeks there in Pittsburgh because of things that's been said uh, throughout the football team. Well, I'm going to say for years, because you mentioned this when we go through the litany of examples of Ben Roethlisberger creating unneeded trauma last year, when he was talking about the team suffering injuries down the stretch, maybe our practices are too intense. Tom Brady never says anything, Cordell, and he, I'm guessing, gets a very big check from WEEI Radio in Boston. I understand you want to be a satisfactory guest, but you don't have to reveal team dynamics on the radio. But I guess who's going to call up Ben Roethlisberger and say, Ben, we need you to be different in public settings. Who's going to have that conversation with him? I mean, that's management. That's GMs. That's the owner. The head coach. You can't get to the point where you can't you can't get the attention of any player on that team because I think when that happens, that's when it's time for you to move on um, with that player because and especially if it's a quarterback, there has to be a coached player relationship. 
You know, and, and, and if you don't have that, as far as the understanding of expectations from a player, I think that's when you end up losing maybe, you know, the team or what have you. And, and, and it, whether it's the team or that player. And I don't think you want to do either one of those. So I, I just think it, it's something where somebody has to get their hands on this situation when it comes to men. And sometimes, you know what? Maybe the people love him being candid. The fans or, you know, maybe some of the sponsors. Or you, you just never know the dynamic in that city. Right. To where when you're the quarterback and you're the man, yeah, you probably say what the heck you want to say. And trust me, he's running with it full speed. Well, it's great radio. It's wonderful for us. We're in the content creation business. But I think it damages the psyche of the team because – As I'm going through the wire accounts of the sound we just played, here's the summation. People effectively are articulating. Roethlisberger says it's not his fault because he doesn't have the freedom. It's really on Mike Tomlin and Todd Haley, right? Isn't that the takeaway of what we heard? Yeah. I mean, it's that's what I heard. And and I'm like sitting here saying to myself, that has to be because I saw rumor, comma, then the statement being made uh, like there's, there's a big chance. Um, to the extent of Coach Mike Tomlin not being there. but And then all of a sudden, I look at the comments below it. Like, what the heck, Coach Tomlin? What about the offensive coordinator? They didn't even call him by his name. Offensive coordinator. And so, I, you know, it just, again, you don't know for sure what it is because as far as what we know, leading up into this weekend, Mike Malarkey was coming back next season. <laughs> Subject to change, right. How'd that work out? So it's, it's, it's one of those cases and situations where you, you address it but to dive all the way in, whew, bravery, I mean, hot takes are good. I don't want to be that hot. I don't want to have that kind of hot take on me. I mean, it'd be some hot lava thrown at me. <laughs> Cordell, you said. And, and that, that's not one to play with, especially when it comes to the Steelers, because they've only had a few head coaches in that organization's history. Uh, going all the way back to the very, 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 very beginning, I think the number is five. But since Coach Chuck Noll, it's only been three. The ones that we can currently understand and know about since they started the championship run in the 70s. Chuck Noll, obviously, uh, Coach Cower, and now Mike Tomlin. So the ones that we talk about for what relevance is those three, and, 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 and that's pretty remarkable to say that this organization has been around since the early 30s, and they've only had, or as the current coaches that's been successful over the last, what, since the 70s, just three Head coaches, that's 30 plus another, that's 38 years. I mean, that's a, that, 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 that's, that's a lot, man. That's a lot of years to only have three coaches. Since Richard Nixon was in the White House, he's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian <laughs> Weber, NFL No Huddle. It's the NFL on TuneIn. You want to be a part of the show, give us a call. 832-688-6346. That's one team tune in. In 15 minutes, we take you across the league with Peter King and the MMQB. Okay, you touched on the report from ProFootballTalk.com indicating that some of the Steelers' limited partners have grown dissatisfied with Mike Tomlin, and they want to go to the Rooney family to suggest Tomlin should be replaced. Now, Cordell, that's not going to happen because of the very component you referenced. The Steelers, more than any other franchise in professional sports, are all about continuity. But do you think you could argue... With the collection of talent on this roster, and I think we both agree Steelers have the most talented team in football, given the fact they have not been to the Super Bowl in seven years, and Tomlin only has one Super Bowl to his credit, could you argue the Steelers have underachieved in recent years? For his expectations, they don't make it to a championship, it's an underachieving year. And, And that's realistic for Pittsburgh. Now, for the National Football League, I mean... 
What's underachieving? Because how many AFC Championship games, how many times he's gotten into the postseason since not going to the Super Bowl? We've seen him go to two Super Bowls. He won one. He lost the other. Um, I mean, I, I think he's probably outside of, let's say, uh, Bill Belichick, probably one of the most accomplished coaches maybe after Bill Belichick in his time there as a head coach in, in Pittsburgh and along with competing against Bill Belichick. I mean, that that's that's saying a lot for his success. And, and to see him deal with Le'Veon Bell not being in, Martavis Bryant not being in, Pouncey the center not being in for an entire season. And this team still have relevance of winning the division and also getting to the postseason. I mean, that, 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 I think that goes, you know, that leans towards the head coach and saying what he's capable of doing for his football team to try to fill in those voids. And, and here it is. They end up getting rid of James Harrison and look where James Harrison is now. Now, no one's talking about that. But how do you think James Harrison is looking at this right now saying, uh-huh, if you wouldn't have let me go, maybe I could have at least gotten you a sack because Blake Bortles wasn't sacked one time. So I, I just see it in a place where it's, you know, it's far-fetched in my mind and too premature to come out and, and, and get rid of a coach um, that's put in that much work, even though they hadn't gone to a Super Bowl um, in over five years. So it's, 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 it's getting close to that time. Uh, that window seemed like it was last year. They missed it this year. Ben sounded like he wants to come back next year. Uh, we have to assume that Le'Veon Bell is going to be back next year, whether it's franchise tag or new deal. He's not going to retire. Um, we know that. He knows he's not going to retire. I agree. Uh, but I just think it's, 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 it deserves looking over. You know, because the team is not going to be around forever. These won't be the same players for a long time. And everything that has a beginning, you know, for sure has an end. The question is, when is that end for a uh, Coach Tomlin? And, and I personally don't think it's now. Shouldn't be no time soon, to be honest. I don't think it deserves a Super Bowl for him to keep his job. In meaning winning a Super Bowl for him to keep his job. But you know what? Again, it's Pittsburgh. The expectations are is extremely high. And you come into that city with, oh, I gave my best. Oh, I tried. At least we won nine games. You won't be in Pittsburgh for a long time. Because if you don't get 11-plus wins or get into the winning division and get into the postseason, keyword, and you've underachieved, let alone try to get to a championship. You've underachieved. Expectations are extremely high. But um, they had the talent this year for sure, but they came up short. Nobody in Pittsburgh wants to hear this, but shouldn't we point out that, unfortunately, a lot of this comes down to timing, and they're matching up with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady for the last 15 years? Same thing that that Peyton Manning had to deal with when he was in Indy. Mm -hmm. Identical. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate. How many times has Ben beaten this team? Not once. Over his career. So you say, I'm going to hang around one more year to see what? If Tom Brady leaves? Because if he does, that's the chance. So it's, it's amazing, man. You know, Tom Brady has made it hard for a lot of elite quarterbacks or good quarterbacks within that conference. And here it is again, showing its ugly face to the Steelers when it comes to playing against that guy. They can't beat him, and let alone they can't get past the Jacksonville Jaguars, which means they'll be at home watching the games like us. For some, they may be in Hawaii. They may be in Bora Bora. You never know where they may be because these guys are going to relax and get away from that cold weather, I'm sure, because uh, talking to Stan Sabrin today, snowing, 
Oh, wait. This just in. It's cold in Pittsburgh in January. That's oh, a developing story. Let me hit that right. button. Hold on. Cold Snow in, in Pittsburgh in January. Yeah. It's going to be warm right. in Minnesota, Cordell. Have you checked the weather? How are we going to do? Yeah, that stuff is pretty bad. At the Super Bowl. It's, it's, it's pretty bad, bro. But it's snowing in Pittsburgh. No golf. People are just still mourning, trying to figure out who should get fired. Glad Ben staying. Why didn't he give the ball to Le'Veon Bell more? Tony O'Brien was great. What are we going to do with Martavis Bryant? How about the defense? What about a defense? I mean, all that. <laughs> Seriously. And, and, and uh, trust me, Pittsburgh right now, is it's, it's, it's a tough place to be right now. It's quiet. I know that for sure. Extremely quiet. Uh, but, you know, that that's that's the way they are, man. It's it's all or nothing. And if you can't at least get to the Super Bowl and give them something to be excited about, um, you know, it's almost like, you know, what are we doing? And I think that's the mentality I got today when talking to Stan Sovereign. Let me dust off our third cliche of the first 20 minutes. My third cliche. I'll take accountability for my stuff. I won't be Ben Roethlisberger. Old notion in sports, Cordell. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. Nobody stays the same. How would you sum up what's going on in Pittsburgh? They're getting better or they're getting worse? No, they're not getting worse. I mean, they need to pick up their defensive play for sure to get some stops. I mean, they got 45 points scored on them Um, in in, in a game that was was a very, very tough game. And I think uh, a great game, to be honest with you. But when you look at, you know, what they've been able to accomplish, I think overall individually, uh, being Ben Roethlisberger, where where was he? He's in a top three, four. You know, look at Le'Veon Bell and how he rushed in this last game. He was in a top three. I mean, I think everything that they've done, you know, passing-wise, Ben Roethlisberger in the playoffs, he ended up giving you the most yards. Gave you 400. I mean, so it's... It's not like the best has passed them by and gone and passed them by. It's just they have to be able to seize the moments when the opportunity presents itself. And to me, I think Shazier being out hurt this team a lot. Huge, yep. We probably have not talked about that enough. And we haven't talked about that enough. I think when it comes to the running game, you know, Shazier, he comes in and he truly brings that tough mentality. Like in warm-ups, it could be two degrees below or so. And he walks outside with no shirt on. So if you're walking outside with no shirt on and it's freezing cold, you know, what message is that sending to your team? But most importantly, even to the other guys on the other side of the football field, like this guy's a little nuts. He's a little crazy. Right? And, and, and he's not been, he hadn't been around. So now you're dealing with guys that had to fill in and play and, and do the best they could. And I thought they did well, but it wasn't Shazier. So it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where – you know, was the team bad? I would say no, the team wasn't bad. Did the team need help? Yes. Why? Because they lost arguably their tougher player on defense and season. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.